The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. I told you we're turning our Bibles to Luke 17, 11 through 19, right? Uh, we are continuing in our series, focusing on the miracles of Jesus and what they teach us about our God. Uh, so our main objective throughout this series has been to learn more about the character and nature of our Creator. Uh, along the way, we've also observed some profound insights into how we can and should relate to God uh, through these miracle accounts. And that has a lot to do with the fact that Jesus, throughout the scriptures, he is described as the exact reflection, image, expression of God the Father. And so what Jesus does in a situation, we know is exactly how the Father would respond. And so uh, we can learn a lot by seeing how Jesus interacts with people and, and what he does in, in bringing God's power to bear in desperate situations. And so this week, we're going to study the account of Jesus healing 10 men that had leprosy. Uh, Luke's gospel is the only one that records this specific miracle. However, there are several accounts throughout the gospels of Jesus healing those with leprosy. Jesus bringing God's power to bear and healing leprosy was one defining attribute of his ministry. For example, when John the Baptist sent men, and this is recorded earlier in Luke, sent men to ask Jesus if he was indeed the one they had been waiting for, Jesus responded by saying this. This is a quote from him. John the Baptist wants to know, are, are you the Messiah? Are you the one? Here's what Jesus says. He answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And so one of the ways Jesus answers the question of, is he the Messiah, Messiah, there's no Z in there, it's Messiah, is he the Messiah, is the fact that lepers are being healed, uh, and that you can, you can trace a thread throughout the Old and New Testament of, of seeing that, and we'll, we'll uncover that more as we move forward. Part of why healing leprosy, at least partially, being a big aspect of Jesus' ministry, is probably due to the horrendous nature of this disease. Uh, it caused painful sores. It would cause nerve damage. Uh, eventually, people's flesh would, would rot on their body. Um, I have a friend that was taking their child through the Bible, and uh, they got to a, a story about leprosy, and he decided to Google some images of it and show his daughter, that was a bad idea, so just, I'll save you that <laughs> headache. Don't do that, because it's really nasty. Uh, oftentimes, fingers, toes, and noses would just fall off. It, it, was, it was a dreadful disease. It had no cure. Um, and so, if you got it, 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 it was a slow and painful death sentence, period. Those who had leprosy were both ceremonially unclean and rejected by society, they would often gather together in leper colonies to have companionship because they would be cut off from interaction with their families and with their communities. So that's some of the background of why Jesus dealt with leprosy a lot in that time. It was more common then. It does still exist today. Some people don't know that. We, we do have some um, antibiotic cures for it, but it's not always uh, available. And so there are leper colonies even today. It was much more prevalent then, however. So... That's why Jesus ran into it so often. So we're going to read Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19 together. Okay, here we go. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, 
He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Praise God for his word. The first principal observation we're going to draw about God's character from this is that God desires humble faith. God desires humble faith. Now, to see this more clearly, we need to really understand the situation here, or else it might not communicate effectively. These guys were forbidden from contact with people. I already told you that. And part of that is because people unfortunately believed the lie that things like leprosy were caused by some sin or sins that the person committed. And so they were also considered rejected by God. Not just were they ceremonially unclean, they were rejected by God and that this was a clear, physical, overt sign of punishment from God. That's what leprosy, that's what they believed about leprosy. We know that because in other places, uh, Jesus heals a blind guy and people are like, hey, who, that guy was blind, who sinned? Him or his parents, right? So there was this superstition and this stigma that unfortunately hangs around till today in some places that if somebody's suffering, uh, there must be a sin connected to it. Now, sometimes do we have suffering in our life as a result of our sin? Yes, absolutely, sometimes. But having this, this overarching assumption that every time there's suffering, difficulty, or sickness, that sin is the root cause of that, absolutely does not line up with a biblical framework. And Jesus actually came to smash that into smithereens, and he did throughout the whole time of his ministry. Uh, we see here that God does not respond based on social status. Uh, he responds to humble faith. Jesus did miracles for the centurion and the synagogue official. Both were highly respected and revered in their community. And he also healed the reviled and the rejected, like lepers and the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus commands these guys to go show themselves to the priest. This, this instruction for us might seem a little weird, so here's why he would do that. Jesus commands them to go show themselves to the priest because the priests in that time were the ones responsible for declaring whether someone had leprosy or not to begin with. And so if you thought you had it, you would go see them and they would check it and then you would be determined by the priest, yes, your ceremonial unclean, yes, that's leprosy, off you go uh, or not. And so it makes sense then for Jesus to send them back to the priest to check to see if this miracle had occurred and if they were indeed clean. Uh, we see some incredible humility and faith on display in verse 14. Verse 14 says this. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Right after Jesus says, go show yourselves to the priest, here's, what, here's the response. And as they were going, they were cleansed. These guys are taking a huge risk by obeying Jesus in this way. This is some humble faith right here. The truth is they would likely be killed for knowing they had leprosy and just rolling into town to see the priest. Because 
And we have to understand, we can be very hard on ancient people and say, oh, it's so terrible that they cast them out. But the reality is this was an incredibly contagious disease. You can get it from bumping into somebody. You can get it from touching something they touched. And it's a terrible plague of a disease. And so to some degree, you can understand why it was so people were ostracized as, as a result. But they could be killed for coming in and disobeying that order to be separate. Uh, we see that they understood that, right? Because even when Jesus encounters them, it says they stood afar off from him and yelled, Master, have mercy on us. They knew their place. They knew what this meant. Uh, and that, based on everything they knew and based on what society expected of them, they should have stayed clear of other people. So what they had to do in order to obey Jesus regarding this is they had to lay down all of their objections. Can you imagine some of their objections? Hey, Jesus, they'll kill us if we roll into town with leprosy. Um, other objections could possibly be, hey, Jesus, could you heal us maybe before you send us walking into town? That would be easier. Uh, they, had to let, they had to lay down all their preferences, like getting healed first, like Jesus giving them some guarantee. Jesus didn't give them a big guarantee. There's not a big discourse here. They say, Master, have mercy on us. He says, go show yourself to the priests. And then the next line is, we don't, have a, we don't have a record of a discussion, a debate, nothing. These guys clearly just took off in obedience to Jesus, trusting that what he said would happen. And then what, what, what do we see? On the way. On the way. In the midst of that humble obedience and that faith. They were cleansed. They were healed. So they had to do all that. They had to, they had to humbly obey Jesus by faith in order to receive this miracle. These guys in their desperation, show us what a humble prayer and a humble faith looks like. I would call your attention to the way they called out to Jesus as well. Master, have mercy on us. If you go throughout the rest of the Luke, the only people that call Jesus master is the disciples. And so clearly, to some degree, these, these lepers already understood there's something about Jesus. They call out to him in this very kind of intimate way. It, it denotes relationship. And their, their hope is clearly already in the fact that this guy is the master. He's a master of something. We've seen him do miracles. We've heard the fame of his name throughout the land. They call out to him, master, have mercy on us. Isn't that interesting? They didn't give Jesus a list of specifics. They just said, master, have mercy on us. They didn't tell Jesus exactly how he needed to do it, what he needed to do. What they knew is that they needed mercy from the master. And they were willing to humbly leave that prayer with him and trust he would answer it rightly and accordingly. And he did. So not only their prayer, but their faith. We see a, a beautiful example of, of the humility of both of those. Um, I, I can just imagine if I was in that situation, how many of my own thoughts and my own preferences I would have had to weed through to just go ahead and take off walking towards the priest and that's all Jesus said to me. Do you, do you understand here from the text, Jesus didn't even say, go show yourself to the priest and you'll be healed? Did you catch that? They said, Master, have mercy on us. He said, go show yourself to the priest. You want to talk about humble obedience. You want to talk about not questioning the master under any circumstances. They put their life on the line just because Jesus said so. It's the kind of humble obedience and humble faith that Jesus is looking for. It's a kind we should have. The need for our faith to be walked out in humility is shown by the healing of another person with leprosy. And this account is in 2 Kings chapter 5. Don't turn there. I'm just going to tell you the story. There's a guy named Naaman. He's described as a, a really valiant warrior. 
and uh, he has leprosy. That's how the Bible says he was a valiant warrior and a leper, kind of straight and to the point. And uh, the Bible says that during one of their battles, he had ended up with uh, a servant girl that was of the people of Israel, and she pipes up one day and says, you know, there's, there's a prophet in Israel, and if you'll go there, he could heal you of this leprosy. And uh, she was talking about Elisha. And so Naaman goes to his king, who obviously values him as a warrior, and the king gives him a letter and sends him with chariots full of silver and gold to go see the king of Israel. And so they show up and they, they talk to the king, and you can, all, you can already see here a contrast between the lepers we just talked about and the way they're going about it this way. Naaman is taking a bunch of silver and gold, thinking he's going to use what he's got to try to get something. This is not somebody come and say, Master, have mercy on me. This is someone come and say, I'm important. Look at all the silver and gold. I'll leave this with you, but I'm here to get what I'm entitled to. And so he rolls up, talks to the king. The king tears his clothes and says, what do you, why is this king sending me a letter as if I'm God to determine life and death? I can't heal this guy. And then somebody says, somebody gets word to Elisha that, that the king was in that situation. And so Elisha sends word and says, send him to me. This guy will know there's a prophet in Israel. And so uh, Naaman goes. He takes the chariots, the gold and the silver, he heads out to Elisha's house and uh, says that he comes to Elisha's door, and here's what Elisha does. Elisha sends a servant out to talk to Naaman, and here's what he tells Naaman. He says, Naaman, I want you to go to the river Jordan and wash in it, dip down in it seven times, and you'll be cleansed. So here we have a similar command to what we see Jesus giving these lepers, right? Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, Naaman had the benefit of the servant telling him, if you go do this, you'll be cleansed. These guys didn't even have that. They just obeyed on the, on the word of the master. But Naaman, it says Naaman left in a rage. He was irate for several reasons. First of all, it, it, it gives, the narrator gives you a picture into Naaman's mind of what's going on. He's like, first of all, he's upset that this guy sent a servant to talk to him instead of him. Does he not know, does he not know who Naaman is? This, he's got this kind of stuff going on in his head, right? So that's the first issue. Secondly, he starts talking about what what does he mean, go dip in the Jordan? Aren't the, aren't the rivers where I'm from twice as good of water as what's here? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? Right? So he's, he's upset that he got snubbed by the prophet. He's upset about the directions he was given. And he even goes so far as to say, I expected what he would do is come out and meet me, and he would wave his hand over top of me, call upon the name of his God, and heal this leprosy. Now, do you see the problem with Naaman's approach? He was coming with a very specific idea of how God was going to do this. He was not crying out, Master, have mercy on me, whatever that means to you. I trust you in the details. No, no, no. He's coming with a very exact picture in his mind. And when that exact picture in his mind of how this should go based on who he is and what he knows, when it doesn't go like that, he storms off in a rage. The grace of God to him is that he's got some servants with some sense They probably let him blow off some steam, and then they come to him, and they say, hey, if the prophet would have asked you to do some grand act to see healing of this leprosy, wouldn't you have done it? Then why wouldn't you do this simple thing? Somehow that got to him. The Bible says he goes down, he dips himself in the Jordan seven times, and he comes out, and it describes his skin as that of a young child's, uh, like a baby bottom. And so he receives that healing. Now, This is a stark contrast to the 
the lepers being healed here. We see a very different approach. We see the exact opposite. We see these, these ten lepers understood what humble faith looked like. Naaman absolutely did not. Naaman came to God in the exact wrong way. These ten lepers came to God the exact right way. Now, I think the, my favorite commentary on 2 Kings 5 is uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, because the Jesus Storybook Bible concludes it like this. It says that uh, on that day that Naaman was healed of both pride and leprosy, but the greater healing was of the pride. And what we have to see is that's absolutely true. He received two healings that day, but the one that mattered most and the one that preceded the other was that that pride had to be crushed in his heart before he could receive that healing of that leprosy. You guys seen any implications for your life in this? You're not just, you're not just beating up Naaman in your mind, are you? Because you know you're prone to prideful prayers, right? You know that. You know you're prone to come to God with an idea of exactly how this should go, and I'm going to pray it that way, and if God doesn't do it that way, then I'm going to be disappointed. I'm going to huff and puff and, and walk away in a rage. You, you know you're prone to that, right? You know you don't always come to Jesus in the humble way these ten lepers did, simply saying, Lord, have mercy on me. I realize I am incapable of solving this problem myself. I'm not going to give you a list of exactly how to do this because I trust that you know better than I do. Sometimes we miss that mark. Sometimes we go like Naaman did instead of like these guys. And so don't, let's not just beat up Naaman. Let's see ourselves in this thing. Let's understand that all of us are prone to that pride. The pride has to be healed first before we receive anything else from God. God is looking for humble faith. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Man, if we, just, if we just chewed on that verse every day, it would help us, wouldn't it? Come on, saints. God opposes the proud. There's enough opposition in this world right now with God helping me that I cannot afford to have him oppose me. And he will, as an act of love and mercy to me, he will oppose me if I am in pride because I need to be brought low and that pride needs to be broken in me at any cost before I can have any real freedom or have any hope of a miracle, whatever that looks like in my life. Praise God that he loves us enough to oppose us when we're proud, to chastise the children that he loves, to deal with us. He's good to us like that. The greater healing was pride in Naaman's life. Pride-motivated confidence is not faith. True faith only rises out of the humble acknowledgement that we need God's mercy. That's so important that I'm going to say it again, twice in a row. Pride-motivated confidence is not faith. We get them mixed up sometimes. True faith only rises out of the humble acknowledgement that we need God's mercy. Even if you believe 100% that God will meet your need, if the lie of entitlement that whispers in your ear that you deserve God's help if that's what's going on, it will make your belief ineffective. If you believe you're entitled to this thing for any reason, and Jesus deals with that even in the verses above. This is not out of line of the flow of thought. If you go above, he starts talking about slaves and masters and how uh, ultimately what he's saying is that we that are servants of Jesus, we that are servants of God, um, when we do what is required of us as servants of God, we, sh we should not expect a pat on the back. It is, is our reasonable service to lay down our life, lay down our bodies and everything that we are as a living sacrifice to God in light of who he is and what he's done. 
And so this, this, this is definitely in the mind of Jesus, even as this is happening. You can see he's talking about it just a few verses before. Uh, but your belief will be made ineffective by the lie of entitlement. We, we deserve nothing. The truth is, well, we do deserve something. We deserve hell. And so every single day that we wake up, and we are neither dead nor in hell, we have received grace and mercy from God. And many times the bad attitudes that we end up having would be eradicated if we just stayed right there. If we understood that, in an, is that true? I'm not trying to be unnecessarily harsh, but is, is this not the truth? What have we earned for ourselves? If it wasn't for Jesus, what have we earned? With our sin and with our rebellion, each and every one of us, according to the scriptures, and I think we can bear this out experientially, we are not perfect. We have rebelled in various ways. We are sinners. And so we deserve death and hell. That is what we deserve. Everything we get that's not that is mercy and grace from God, which is why gratitude should not be as hard for us as sometimes it is. Praise God. Smile. It's okay. These are good things. This is good for us. Amen. The truth of God. We're, having, we're, we're being healed right now. We don't have a Jordan River to dip in, man, but the Word of God will do the same thing. Pride can be healed right here in the midst of this room by the power of the Spirit of God, and I believe He's working in us. We need it. And that's not a one-time thing. Can I say that as well? Pride will creep at the door for the rest of your life. It will come in various ways. It will sneak around the back. It will come a hundred different flavors and colors, uh, and, and, and as you identify it and kill it, crush it in one way, uh, by the Spirit of God, you're going to have to keep assessing and fighting other ways because we are constantly prone uh, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought and not think as highly of God as we ought. And so uh, we, we, we need constantly to, to be thinking about these things. We, we don't have to spend our entire life being, being pride hunters. We, we trust that the Spirit of God also uh, is a part of revealing these things to us, but we need to not be naive. We need to at least know our tendency. We will have to struggle and fight against pride in various forms. And pride is the mother of every other sin. You trace it down and think about it. You spend time thinking about every way you fall short of the glory of God. If you really trace it and find the root of that thing, what you'll find ultimately is a seed of pride. It's always there. This fact, this truth, uh, that, that first of all, true faith only rises out of a humble acknowledgement that we need God's mercy. That's, that's kind of the big premise. This is why a half gospel will never do. This is why, when, if, if, if we want to share effectively the good news of the gospel, we have to, in, in, in loving truth, share the bad news. Because so many times, in, in, in an attempt to not offend or put people off, we'll skip the bad news of the gospel, which is the fact that every single one of us deserves death and deserves hell, right? That's, that doesn't... In, in, that's, that's not a praise banner tambourine truth, right? That doesn't make you want to jump up out of your chair and, and, and do a jig. Um, however, it's true, and we need to hear it, because when we, if we say things to people like, you're so wonderful, that, that, and Jesus loves you so much, and, and, he, and he, wants to, he wants to have you in heaven, do you want to be in heaven with Jesus? If that's, your, if that's the gospel you give somebody, the truth is that they abs- it is impossible for them to, in true faith, acknowledge God from that kind of gospel. A candy-coated, sugar-coated, not the full spectrum and reality of the truth is not going to, it's not going to water that faith seed and bring up something living. True faith can only rise out of a humble acknowledgement of our need for mercy. 
How would you have a humble acknowledgement of your need for mercy if all you hear is, well, God is so good and God is so loving and he, he wants to be with you forever. So, so say these words after me. That's not the whole gospel, friends. If we, if we really love somebody and we want them to actually understand what it looks like to receive Jesus, they need to understand Jesus does love them. Here's how he proved it. He allowed himself to be slain upon a cross and for his blood to flow down that rugged wood. And the reason there had to be a sacrifice was because we caused a problem with our sin and rebellion. That every single one of us is a sinner by nature and choice. That God is holy and completely perfect. And we are not by a long shot. And because of that, there's distance between us and God. We are separated from God who is the very source of life. And the only way we are grafted back in and allowed to be apart and connected to that vine that is the source of life is through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a problem and there's a solution. And the whole gospel is to say all of it. True faith can only rise out of a humble acknowledgement of our need of God's mercy. And without telling somebody the truth in love, they can't have true faith. Praise God that we have good news to preach. Praise God that the bad news isn't where it stops, right? It's not a downer, really. We need to come to the recognition and and realization of, of the issue and our condition outside of Christ, but we follow up with the good news. And so that's where the tambourines come in. Praise God. Some of you have never even seen tambourines in church. I say that all the time. You don't even know what I'm talking about, man. We got to do a field trip sometime. Take your church as tambourines. Then you'll get it. You understand what I'm talking about. All right, we'll just get some here. Whoever's in charge of that, let's get some. See what happens. Praise God. Here's the big, second big premise we're going to draw to this. God desires and deserves our gratitude. God desires and deserves our gratitude. I'm going to read verses 17 through 18 to you again. And I'm going to start at 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Verses 17 and 18, it clearly establishes what Jesus would say was the right response. Okay, there's no question here of what should have happened. Ten were cleansed of leprosy. According to Jesus, he's almost astonished here that ten didn't show up. You you remember, we took the time to describe what leprosy was. This was a no-hope situation. And Jesus came and brought the power of God to bear upon this no-hope situation. And these guys were cleansed and healed of leprosy. Jesus is taken aback that there's only one that comes back glorifying God to give thanks. And so, I don't think we probably needed a lot of help. I don't even know that we needed Jesus to say explicitly what is expected in a situation like this when you're when you got a death sentence on you and when you have no hope any other way and somebody comes and brings an answer to that gratitude lots of gratitude is is the right response uh that's that's almost intuitive we should almost get that without jesus saying it plainly but he went ahead and said it plainly it's he's almost thinking out loud and there's there's some agony in this for him he's it's hard for him to understand it seems 
how this could be somebody's response. Jesus, I hear you. The question is, I think what we need to ask ourselves, again, let's not just be hard on the nine lepers. Let's see where do we fit in this situation, right? Sometimes we're like Naaman, but sometimes we're like the nine lepers. Sometimes we are not as grateful, uh, overflowing with thanksgiving, as it would seem we should be as recipients of a death sentence being erased, right? We are people that we're in a lot of trouble ourselves. And Jesus came and brought an answer to that. So sometimes our gratitude, we struggle the way the nine did. How do we get this wrong? Let's think about it together. How do we get there? How do we get that any day, on any at any given moment when we're not dead or in hell, how do we struggle with gratitude? Well, sometimes it's just distraction. Sometimes the difficulties of life and the day, uh, different situations, they they take our eyes off and away from uh, the the reason that we should be grateful, and we get focused upon those problems, those difficulties, those situations. And because of that, it steals away that gratitude that, that should be there. That's probably not what happened with these guys, though, because there wasn't enough time yet, right, for them really to be distracted. These guys had just been healed of leprosy. We're still having a happy time, okay? So that's, that's interesting. There wasn't really time for some difficult situation to rush in and steal their joy, so that probably isn't why they didn't come back with gratitude. How did they get it wrong, and how do we sometimes get it wrong? We often get focused on the gift, and we forget the giver, We get so focused on the gift, guys, that sometimes we forget the giver. And this has to be what happened here. The other nine, you can just see it if you think about it. These these guys have been ostracized. They have been away from their families and friends. They, They may have rushed to show family and friends their freedom from the wretched disease. But they forgot to first give thanks to the one who set them free. And they rushed off in excitement about that incredible gift they had just received. And left standing there, the giver, with no acknowledgement, with no thanksgiving. God's will concerning our gratitude is revealed in this account through an experience here, through a situation. We can see clearly Jesus, the expectation from him is there should have been gratitude. Where are the other nine, right? Jesus He knew they wouldn't come, but you can tell he's still vexed about it, right? This bothers him. There's something wrong here. So God's expectations as far as gratitude are concerned is revealed there, but we have several scriptures in addition. I'm just going to read these to you. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says this, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I had a conversation with someone the other day, and uh, we were talking about the will of God and and, um, obeying instructions from God, and um, many times folks are frustrated because they don't feel like the Lord is giving them specific instructions, and and when I I get the opportunity to talk to people like that and and try to lovingly guide them, the first thing I'm going to take them to is is I want to say, I'm going to take them and go to the Word and say, okay, are there any basic things that God has made clear are His will that you're not doing now, that you're refusing to obey these basic things, but then standing there expecting God to give you more specifics. This is one of the things I would call you to, friend. If you have found yourself frustrated 
with the Lord Jesus, thinking that somehow you've been praying and your, your, your prayers have just been hitting the ground and you've been asking for wisdom or discernment or guidance uh, about some specific thing and, and you're not receiving it, I, I, would just, I would humbly and lovingly commit to you this idea. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know, I can't tell you from here, right now in this moment, which job you're supposed to take or not take, which house you're supposed to buy or not buy, uh, if you're supposed to be in that relationship or not in that relationship. I'm not a prophet and I can't go through this room and read everyone's mail right now, but here's what I can tell you right now, 100% for sure, I don't need to be a prophet to do it. It's God's will for you to be grateful in every circumstance. And so if you're struggling with that, now, are you going to get that perfect? Absolutely not. This is one of the ways we're going to fall short of the glory of God. However, are we at least setting that as the high standard? Are we at least putting ourselves in a place of, of submission to God's word? Are we in those moments where ingratitude seizes us, when, in moments where being thankful in every circumstance would not describe our attitude and or com current commentary about the situation? In those moments, are we allowing the spirit of God to hold us accountable? Are we even repenting for a lack of gratitude? Do we see it as a sin? Are we dealing with ourselves? Do we understand the standard of God in this? Jesus made clear, where, were the, where are the nine? What's going on here? Thessalonians 5.18, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I don't know what God's will is for me. I can tell you one thing, be grateful. Be grateful he has a will for you. I don't know what it is. He has a plan for you. Woo! If you're struggling to be grateful, man, just the fact that you are upon the mind of God, that he has gone before you, that he exists outside of time, and that he knows what's going on with you, come on now. That's something to be grateful for. Ephesians 5.20 always says we should always be giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That one can be hard to swallow, Right? Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this is a difficult paradigm for our Western minds. Um, I read somewhere, one of the commentaries as I was studying this, said that Matthew Henry, uh, he's a one of the most famous Bible commentators, faithful Bible teacher, says one time, it said one time his uh, wallet was stolen, and he wrote about it, uh, and he wrote about all the things he thanked God about in regards to his wallet being stolen. Like, for example, um, he thanked God that he had never been robbed before. He thanked God that though they got everything he had, it wasn't that much. He thanked God that he was the one robbed and not the one doing the robbing. See where I'm going with this? Now, you can say, well, that's crazy. I'm submitting to you that's the right attitude. I'm submitting to you that coincides with Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was alive. They didn't kill him. He thanked God for that. Praise the Lord. Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His faithful love continues forever. That's what those who have been set free by the Lord should say. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His faithfulness, his everlasting love, his attention, his affection upon us. There are never-ending reasons. The well of reasons for gratitude in Christ is so deep, we never, ever will run that thing dry. And so we do have a place to go. If, if we'll discipline our minds to do it, we have a source for gratitude in every situation. What if I'm having a hard day? 
Jesus is still king, right? So if you're struggling with this, go ahead and get one of those shirts and just look at your belly when you're struggling. Jesus is king. Sometimes people ask me, and if I'm having a hard day, I, I want to be honest. I don't want to be a, a fake perma-smile Christian. I'll tell people, I'm having a hard day. Today's a hard day. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted today. But you see this pattern in the Psalms I try to emulate. David will say, I'm crying myself to the point that my bed is dissolving, right? I, there are so many tears. But by the end of the psalm, he's saying, but, but my trust is in you, Lord. And so if you ask me and I'm having a hard day, I'll tell you I'm having a hard day, but I'm going to end it up with something like, but God's on the throne and that's not changing. And that's not me being flaky. That's not me, you know, trying to blow smoke. I'm just, I'm, 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 I want to stay there. And I, I don't always do that right. And there's a lot of things I don't do right, but at least that right there, um, I, I want to tell you the truth if I'm struggling, but I also want to give glory to God because it could be worse. I could be dead or in hell, which is what I deserve. <laughs> so things aren't quite as bad as, as they look. I think some could ask the question in, in this, this premise that God desires and deserves our gratitude. They could, they could wonder, is God insecure? Like, aside from the obvious fact that he deserves our gratitude... Why does he remind and command us about it so often, right? Why do we have these three verses I read you and so many more that bring us back to this place of expressing gratitude to God? Why is it that Jesus here um, is, is, looks bummed out that the nine didn't show up to say thank you? Uh, and we could think of that as, you know, I think we think of a, of a mature person as if, if, if somebody doesn't say thank you, that's not going to crush them, right? Like they'll just kind of let that water off a duck's back type of thing. So what's the deal? Is, is God insecure? Is he, is he in need of this gratitude? Is that why he so often reminds us about it? <clears throat> the, the, the reality is no. God is not in any way insecure, and he is in need of nothing, including our gratitude. The truth is, God is working all things for our good, and what we have to realize and remember is that his glory is for our good. And gratitude, our gratitude leads to his glory, and his glory is for our good. How does that sort itself out? Can, can we be honest for a second and just say that sometimes we are prone to distraction when it comes to the things of God? Anybody in here other than me ever been distracted when it comes to the things of God? We are prone to wander sometimes into sin. Anybody other than me ever wandered into sin and got into some stuff that you shouldn't have been in? We are prone to destruction and pain, we, we are prone to these things. The hope is evermore as we walk the path of sanctification and God conforms us into the image of Christ that we are less and less by the grace of God and the mercy of God alone, we are less prone for our feet to be caught in those traps and to stumble into those sins and to be distracted. But the reality is we, we, we fight that battle. We have that issue. How is the glory of God for our good as it pertains to that? Friends, like a moth is drawn to a flame. When our eyes and our hearts and our minds are set and focused upon the glory of God, it is so much harder for us to be distracted and deceived and drawn into those things that end up leading in destruction and pain for us. Do you see that? The glory and the radiance of God. Have you ever had someone take a super bright light and just shine it right in your face? What can you see in that moment? The light, and that's it. And so the more, to the degree that our eyes and our hearts and our minds are focused upon the radiant glory of God, 
to, to the degree that we are focused upon the reasons why we are grateful for all that he's done and all that he's doing, to the degree that he is glorified in our eyes and in our hearts and in our minds, to that degree we will be less susceptible to those things that so often draw us to the right and to the left, that get our eyes off focus, that draw our affections away. God's glory is for our good. God's glory is for our good. And so him reminding us to stay grateful in every circumstance, is he deserving of that kind of glory? Let's start with that premise. Do we all agree with that? So if the rest of this wasn't true, if there was no benefit for us, just out of obedience to him and because of the, the, the simple fact that he is deserving of that kind of glory, we should, in every circumstance, find reason for gratitude. But in addition to that, we see the beautiful truth unfurl as we think about it, that he is not an egomaniac. He's not pulling you or calling you towards glorifying him just because he is attention hungry. He's calling you towards that because that is absolutely the best thing for you. And he is for you. And he loves you. And he wants to see you focused upon him and upon his glory and things that are going to lead you to joy and peace and hope instead of you being entangled, as we often are, in destruction and pain and sorrow. Praise God. He's worthy to be glorified, friends. Hallelujah. I hope you're asking, is the gospel in this story? We didn't read very many verses. Can we see the gospel here? We referenced earlier the fact that a half gospel won't do, and we see that from this. We, we, we understand that real faith only rises out of an understanding that we need God's mercy. If you don't understand the need for God's mercy, you'll never have the kind of faith that leads to salvation. You'll not have the humble kind of faith that leads to God moving on your behalf. Humble faith is required. Prideful confidence is not the same thing. And actually, it'll, that'll end up God opposing you instead of helping you. In opposing you, he's still trying to help you, but let, you know, skip that part of the journey and, and just humbly submit to him. You'd do better. Do we see the gospel here? First of all, I, I told you that Healing leprosy was, was kind of an earmark of Jesus' ministry. There's several times throughout the story he encounters these, these very deeply rejected people with this terrible disease, perhaps the most outcast among their uh, civilization. And, and when he encounters them over and over again, he brings them to a place of healing and compassion. He moves upon them by the power of God and brings healing to them, and, and we see that Jesus thinks that John's going to be encouraged to hear that the lepers are being healed in reference to the question, is he the Messiah? And so what, what is that? Why, why is all that in there? I think it's, friends, because physical leprosy so closely resembles our spiritual condition without Christ that he's over and over again He's telegraphing and he's foreshadowing the gospel every time he brings one of those hopeless lepers to a place of cleansing and healing. Why do I say leprosy closely compares to our spiritual condition? These guys were sick and they were dying and they were hopeless and they were cut off from fellowship from the people of God and even from the temple, from the presence of God himself. Because of this leprosy, they were totally without a chance and they were going to die as a result 
and nobody could help them. But then Jesus showed up and brought the help that no one else had. And he brought the help that it didn't matter what they did. They couldn't solve the problem. They couldn't heal their leprosy. And it was a nasty disease. It was a terrible disease. And it was very clear when someone had it. This wasn't, this wasn't just the sniffles, man. This is something that you looked at somebody that had leprosy and you knew, man, they're in a lot of trouble. We are very much the same way without Christ when it comes to our spiritual condition. We, the Bible says that we are dead in our sins. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, in the, in phys, and that's part of our problem, guys. Sometimes the reason we don't say the full gospel. Sometimes we're scared of rejection. Sometimes we're scared of offending people. Sometimes we just don't see sin like leprosy. But we need to understand the grotesque nature of leprosy, the destructive nature of leprosy, the hopeless nature of leprosy reflects exactly where we stand spiritually without Christ. And we got to let people know. You can't walk up to a leper with a cure for leprosy. They're not going to take it if they don't think they have leprosy. You got to let them know. What if they're offended? The gospel is offensive. However, God has promised us that if we will engage in that and with a love motivation go to tell people the truth, the Holy Spirit will help us in those situations. We're not going into any interaction like that on our own. You can do that foolishly and pridefully, and it won't go well. You're right. Maybe some of you other than me have experienced that, and you're like, okay, I got the gospel script now. I'll go in here and give this person, you know, the truth, and then end up falling flat on your face and find out that words aren't what's going to change somebody's heart. It's going to be the Spirit of God. And so with humility, we approach every one of those interactions that God would open a door for us to share the good news of the gospel, knowing that we are fully and completely reliant upon the power of His Spirit for that to have any fruitful effect. That's a great spot for you to say amen. Amen. So we see the gospel here. I think every time Jesus brought healing to leprosy, it was, it was a, an overt physical example of what he was about to do with the problem of sin. I'm thankful for that. The second way you can see the truth of the gospel here is it's, it's, it's not as overt. Verse 19, he says, And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, the, why was the leper back in front of Jesus? Because he was cleansed, right? So he'd already been cleansed of the leprosy. Is that correct? That's correct. The whole reason he was back having a conversation with Jesus is he already received healing for the leprosy. Jesus here saying to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Some translations will say, your faith has saved you. What we see here is the fact that this guy understood not only that he had been healed by Jesus, but he understood what Jesus was, who he was. How do we see that? Verse uh, 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And then he fell on his face at his feet. Fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And Luke tells us he was a Samaritan. Part of, part of why that little notation is put in there is for us to understand that this guy was double marginalized, for us to understand how much Jesus really cares about those that are on the outer edge and how we as his people should reach for them always. Not only was this guy a leper, he was a Samaritan, double despised, 
double rejected. Very interesting, he's the one that comes back. Also, interesting little tidbit and contrast between this and Elisha with Naaman. A Gentile comes for healing. What a lot of people don't realize is Elisha was a Samaritan bringing healing in that situation. Here we have Jesus bringing healing to a Samaritan. Go on, the Bible's deep. I'll let you play with that one later. Get your commentaries out, have fun. I'll just drop that for you. But what do we see here? When he comes back, so he's glorifying God. Instantly, he's on his face before Jesus. What is that? Down on his knees, on his face before Jesus. That's a grateful man, but that's also a worshipful man. That's a man who knows. As he's glorifying God and giving thanks, and he's giving thanks to Jesus, this man is worshiping Jesus. Does Jesus say, no, don't do that, don't do that, I'm just a man? No, that's what Peter said when people worshipped him. That's what Paul said when people worshipped him because they were just men and they should not receive worship. But when someone bowed before the master and began to worship him, he received it as God because guess what? It's who he was. What faith made him well? It was that faith, friends. Here we see the gospel right here, right now. This guy had already received healing for leprosy. Jesus says, friend, your faith has made you well. This guy got two healings, just like Naaman did. He didn't just receive healing for leprosy that day. By the, trusting and putting faith in Christ, he received healing for his soul. His faith in who Christ was had made him well, which is the same thing that's going to determine for us today, friends, where we stand. Is it well with your soul today? The, the only way to know is where do you stand with Christ? The only way to know is are you willing, the way this leper did, to bow before Jesus, to call him master, to realize your great need for him, to submit to him, to thank him, to worship him. That's what it comes down to. We're in as much trouble as, as somebody with leprosy when it comes to our spiritual condition. I hope by the power of the word of God and his spirit moving in your heart today, if you're somebody that has been like Naaman, thinking that you could come to God with your gold or silver or whatever it is you think you have and come and present that to him and get that healing that you need, to get your heart right before God, to be received by him. If you think it's you bringing something, friend, let me just tell you, you don't have anything. You don't have anything that's going to matter in that interaction. You better leave all that behind, and you better call out to the God who made you. Master, have mercy on me, because you can't fix the problem of sin. We can't do it. We need his help. He is our only hope. May we all today submit to that. May we joyfully reach out and receive it. And then... May we never, ever be like the nine lepers. See, friends, Jesus was astonished that nine people received healing for leprosy and didn't come back and thank him. How much more devastating to the heart of our Father is it when we receive healing for our souls, when, when, when we receive health in our hearts, when we receive not only a healing of a sickness, but we go from death to life, and then we get into a place where we're not worshipful, where we're not full of gratitude, when we aren't running back to the feet of our master to declare our gratitude to him. How is it? How is it that we can ever get to that place? How much more? You see, it troubles the heart of Jesus here that these nine were able to, to go off happily, just, just receiving the gift, ignoring the giver. Friends, may we never be like those nine, ever, as it pertains to what Jesus has done for us. And it's not just salvation. I know he hasn't just stopped 
with saving our souls. He could have, and that would be enough for us to forever and all of eternity sing his praise. Would it not? It would. If all we had was that we were brought from death to life, if all we had is that we were mired and chained in darkness, and he came and broke those chains and transferred us to the kingdom of light, if that's all he did for us, then we could lay at his feet, face down forever, declaring his great worth and glory. But he's gone so far above and beyond that. He hasn't stopped there. He's promised not only to do that, but then to walk with us on a journey of sanctification, to continue to make us more like him, to help us to fight against sin, to bring healing and health to us, to provide for our needs, to give us wisdom when we ask. The reasons, friends, are countless for gratitude. I know you've got reasons for ingratitude. I know there are circumstances that come and try to steal away that proper response to God. But friends, I'm just asking you to push back against that. I'm asking you to ask God for his mercy and his grace to help you, to empower you, to live a life of complete and total gratitude, to be thankful in every situation for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's only possible because of him. May we be a people willing to love those that others reject, just like our Savior. May we be a people who walk in humble faith, knowing we deserve nothing but have been given everything by grace. And may we be a people who are marked by vibrant and never-ceasing gratitude for God's glory and our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. First of all, we just thank you. We know that this right here is something we don't deserve, that we as your people get to come to you in prayer. We know that coming to you in the name of Jesus is proper because it's only by him and his sacrifice that we approach you and we are received like sons and daughters. Thank you for your incredible mercy on us. Thank you, Lord, for those of us that have received grace through faith in Christ. When we cried out, Master, have mercy on us, you answered faithfully. Thank you that you do every time. Thank you that your word promises you don't deny that call. When humble faith reaches out to you, Lord, you answer. Thank you for your faithfulness in this. Lord, thank you for teaching us through these scriptures what it looks like to respond to you. First of all, thank you, God. We, we can see our great need. We, we, we totally relate to these lepers. We may not have a skin disease that's a death sentence. We may not be in the same physical pain they were, but we know that without you spiritually, we were in just as bad a shape. But I thank you, Lord, that you come and you bring healing to that, that your power doesn't just stop at physical miracles, but you can reach all the way down into a heart of, of a man or a woman, and you can change the things that no one else can change. Thank you that you're faithful in that work. Thank you, Lord, that you're tireless in your pursuit of your people, and you're passionate about bringing us in to wholeness and healing. Thank you to the God of salvation. Hallelujah. Lord, we ask you for your help. We are prone to ingratitude. We are prone to distraction. We are prone to be thankful for the gifts you've given, but forget to give all of our adoration to you, the giver. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would work on us. We ask you to refocus our vision and set our hearts and minds upon the countless reasons we have for thankfulness and gratitude in you. Thank you that we can obey by the spirit and the power of God the command to be grateful in every circumstance. Thank you that that is your will for us. Thank you for the joy that comes in that, Lord. 
but we're going to need your help to do it. Lord, please forgive us when we fall short of it. But we want to do better at that than we have up till now. Thank you for at least setting that high bar and standard for us. We worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for not giving up on us. As many times as we've messed these things up, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you patiently and passionately continue to work with us and help us. We love you so much. We don't want to be like the nine, Lord. We want to be like the one. We want to stay face down, worshiping you in gratitude. Lord, help us to do that with all of our lives. May our actions and decisions, the way we use resources, time and treasure and talent, may all that we do, may it communicate, may it declare that deep-seated gratitude that we live with every day, every moment as a result of your good, perfect, faithful character and the truth of your word. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.